founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Alan Schimmel, founder, CEO, and editor and chief of Media Ops. Media Ops is an omniversal tech media company covering IT industries and practices that are reshaping the world of technology. Media Ops earned an impressive spot on the Inc. 5000 list at 1,622. As a graduate from St. John's University and New York Law School, Alan has an impressive background in various areas. Interested in the world of technology, Alan's main area of interest is cloud, DevOps, security, and open source. Alongside Media Ops, Alan also is the founder of the Security Bloggers Network. Known for his knowledge in security and technology, Alan is a sought-after speaker at industry and government conferences and events. We are so pumped to host Alan on the podcast today, so let's get right into it. Thank you for being here, my friend. Drew, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks. Yes, sir. Uh, so I'm curious, what for you were the series of events that led you into what you're doing now and to where you guys are? Yeah. So this isn't the normal kind of kind of road, I, I will tell you. So as you mentioned, I, I grew up in New York, New York City, went to St. John's University, went on to law school, hated every day of it, <laughs> practiced law a little bit, hated that too. But um, interestingly, I never took any computer classes in school. But when I when I got into working, I, I became fascinated with computers and I became sort of the word perfect expert this is back a while ago, right? In the eighties, yes. I became the word perfect expert in the office because, you know, in, in the land of the blind, the one eyed man is King. Right. And uh, so I, no one else knew what the hell they were doing. And so I kind of became the expert um, and it started a real love and hobby of computers, right? The PC, is you know these are the 80s the pc's really coming out and i i you know i did it as as a hobby though and and what i love to do um with the advent of the commercial internet like by the mid 90s i really i went into that in a big way and and with two friends of mine i had started a company it became a web hosting company, though, truth be told, I, I thought of it as a virtual real estate company, right? We were we were selling hosting or storage of websites on servers. Yeah. And if I needed more real estate, I just bought another hard drive, you know. But um, it became back then, it, eventually this became web hosting is what it's okay. called today, right? And, um, you know, we started a small web hosting company moved into New York City, Manhattan, into what they called their Silicon Alley, which was downtown Manhattan. And uh, I wound up selling that company in 97 to a company that was doing a big roll-up in the web hosting space. And I went to work with them. And, and you know, the one of the fellows behind that company was a guy named Brad Feld. He's a pretty well-known venture capitalist, uh, entrepreneur. And uh, I went to work with Brad and, and that company went on to do, we did 30 acquisitions in 36 months, like wow. one a month. And we did the whole dot-com, we went public and that whole thing and wrote the dot-com bubble burst all the way down. So I wrote it all the way up, all the way down. 
once all this happened, I obviously transitioned that this was my, in the hosting company, I was doing that full time. Um, but that started me on a career in, in IT. So it's been about 26, 27, probably longer, almost 30 years of, mm. of working in computers and technology. Um, a lot of venture-backed companies I've co-founded or founded a lot of venture-backed companies or a few. Uh, most for the last almost 20, 18 years, security was really, they didn't call it cybersecurity then. It was sure. just called security or InfoSec. I did a company like that in Boulder and uh, sold a lot of security to, you know, DOD and the U.S. government, as well as large companies. And I really got involved in the security industry, which was a very different place in 2003 and 2004 than it is, you know, the cyber industry that we see today. Um, I stayed in that company, which was called Still Secure, until about 2009, when I just I just had enough of, of chasing it. And um, I went out on my own. You know, I started speaking and writing and I had always was one of the faces of our companies. Right. I was always sort of that front guy anyway. Yeah. And what I discovered is, you know what, my brand, my own personal brand was was probably better than the company's brand, which is a problem. Yeah. Right. And um, anyway, but I, I, I. You know, I wrote my brand and I wound up speaking and writing a lot, did a lot of consulting for a lot of security companies, helping them with go to market and networking. And, uh, you know, was doing fine doing that, just me, myself for a change, not with a whole company around me. And around 2012, I actually met a fellow named Gene Kim. Gene was the co-founder of a company called Tripwire, another security company. And, um, but Gene had left Tripwire, much as I had left Still Secure, and was still, you know, involved in the industry. Gene was working on a book that he showed me an early manuscript of. This book, um, this book came to be known as The Phoenix Project, which is a pretty well known book within IT. It's a novel, it's not a technical, you know, kind of. O'Reilly book or something like that. Sure, it's a sure. novel. It's called The Phoenix Project. It's by Gene Kim and, and two other folks. Um, and it really, The Phoenix Project defined what was then sort of a new way of looking at how we do software, how we develop and deploy software. And that's DevOps, D-E-V-O-P-S. And I looked, I read the book, fascinated, learned more about this DevOps thing, kind of really became infatuated with it. And but in my mind, one of the big attractions for me was this was a way to do security better than we were doing it. Mm. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, even today, we don't do security real well. Right. We read about breaches every day. We read about cyber state, espionage, terrorism, sure. financial breach. Every day it's something new. And I thought DevOps gave us a chance at maybe doing it better. So um, I started really getting into DevOps, speaking about that and, you know, being in the community. So I had one foot in this DevOps community, one foot in the cyber, at this point, you know, called cyber community. And um, 
I was writing at the time for Network World, and I was writing white papers and blogging, and, you know, my name was out there. I was a known kind of commodity in the marketplace. Um, and then I decided I was going to, that the market really needed a place around DevOps. And, um, and I, you know, what I had learned writing at Network World, what I knew a little bit, I, what I thought I knew about the the media world, I was going to start a, a website, you know, an e-zine or whatever you want to call it, a, an enhanced blog around DevOps. And I began putting it a business plan together because that's how I knew how to do things. You put a business plan together, you go raise money, you build a team, you raise money and start a business. Well, in doing so, I'm, you know, I was looking, well, what domain to use? I said, well, if you're going to write about DevOps, DevOps.com would be a good domain. And, uh, you know, I, I looked up the who owned DevOps.com. It was a sleepy little blog, maybe an article a month on it. I looked up the owner. I didn't know the fellow, Martin Logan. I called him up out of the blue, introduced myself, told him what I was looking to do. And I said, you know, don't be getting visions of sugar plums, but if you want to be reasonable, I'll, I'll buy the, the domain from you. And um, we wound up meeting in Boulder, actually. He was living in Seattle at the time, but he's from Chicago. And uh, met in Boulder, and he became a partner in me in the business, right? I never paid him a dime for DevOps.com, but wow. he got equity in MediaOps and, and helped us launch it. And so we launched DevOps.com in 2013. Oh, excuse me. Well, we launched in 2013. We didn't actually go live till March of 2014. And um, it was really at the time just my blog and a few of my friends writing some stuff for me. But immediately, right, before I could even raise VC money or do a proof of concept or, you know, do what I normally would do in starting a business, start getting companies who wanted to sponsor and be involved in it. And so I never had to raise money. You know, you, you wow. hear about these stories with the hockey stick, you know, kind of revenue growth and everything. Right, right. We never had to raise money. We, we literally were signing six-figure contracts, you know, right at the bat. I didn't, you know, it was me and one other guy. I didn't, you know, it wasn't, we didn't have a company. And, um, and it went on from there. I mean, it just kind of took off from there. As I mean, right place, right time. It's better to be lucky than smart. It's good to be both. Sure. sure. But DevOps just, man, took off. And, you know, you, you could quickly, I'm sorry, it quickly grew me being a, just a blogger. It became a thing. I'm sorry. Yeah. Can you what explain, you can you explain for our audience and secretly for me, uh, what you mean by DevOps? Sure. So DevOps is a funny thing because it means everything and nothing. Okay. Um, <laughs> right. It's one of these things where we, they, there is no kind of dictionary definition. There is no manifesto. There is no kind of thing you put your finger on it but really i mean at its simplest form it's it's getting the folks in development and the folks in operations to work together breaking down those silos right typically developers developed software code okay when they were done developing they threw it over the wall to the ops guys and said all right go deploy it yeah and then the ops people would deploy it and say wow this is really crappy code it doesn't run and the developers say i don't know what you're talking about it ran on my machine you know, and yeah. if you were if you were, if you were a halfway decent ops guy, you'd have it running. And so there was that 
kind of banging in the heads. They didn't work together. Uh, it took, you know, at the, and there were other factors, right? Most software was being, you know, updated once a year or twice a year, quarterly, if you were really a, a go-getter, right? Um, the mobile app world and the whole SaaS-based app world is starting to happen now, right? And and it doesn't lend itself to the once-a-year upgrade. Sure, it's too slow. Right? That, that, yeah, people want more. They want... and. You know, they want better quality, but they want to do it faster. They want more automation. So what was the service? What was the service that you guys were bringing with that, with this company that people were snatching up? Yeah. So what it really was, though, so there were plenty of companies that were developing tools for teams to do DevOps development and ops teams. There were plenty of companies that were offering consulting around DevOps. What we really became was a community. Ah, community resource for the DevOps, right? Yeah. We had some of the greatest folks in the Dev, like Gene Kim, the author of Phoenix Project, for instance, and others. Some of the people who really helped define the DevOps move, movement, writing regularly on our site, how tos, you know, their advice, and we began covering the DevOps scene so that people who were into DevOps came to DevOps.com to find out what was going on, what was the latest, what were the best practices. And so companies that were then making DevOps tools or DevOps consulting wanted to reach those people and they reached them through our site. Yep. About a year or two after that 2015, I started or I co-founded with two partners of mine, something called the DevOps Institute, which is a separate company from MediaOps but is also the largest provider probably today of DevOps testing certification in the world. I think we've had about 25,000 or more people mm. take our certification test. Um, so that's DevOps Institute. And, um, you know, they take classes. We have 175 partners around the world who offer the classes and curriculum, whether in person or online. Um, so that, you know, really started taking off. But as I said, that's separate from media ops. Yeah. When we talk about like Inc. 5000 stuff, that's not even figured in there. It's separate entities. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so as DevOps became popular, we became more and more popular as the place to learn about DevOps, as the place to stay in the know about DevOps, as the place for the community. We started doing webinars and and in-person conferences, and then, of course, virtual conferences. Wow. Uh, publishing a ton of content around DevOps. So cool. So, yeah. yeah, so this is around, you guys created a platform. You created a community, and the business was the connection between the customer and the practitioner, right? Right. We, as that, you know, so my wife's family still doesn't understand what I do for a living. Sure. But uh, what I what I try to explain to them is our our platforms because now there's more than just devops.com our platforms collect eyeballs and ears right people reading watching listening right yep and learning and then we have this whole ecosystem of spawn of potential sponsors vendors yeah companies as big as ibm and microsoft and you know that size down to well-funded venture-backed startups and some open source projects who want to reach those eyeballs and ears and and you know eyes yeah so the cash flow would be 
those those companies and solutions and the DevOps that want to be right. able to reach them are going to pay you to be promoted on your site or through your channels. Right. As sponsors and so brilliant. forth. We try not to charge the end users. Yep. Right? That's brilliant. It's just where we are. How do you, so, do you create a constraint in terms of like um, how many, how many businesses can be uh, offering their services in any one space? So yeah, there's not like a hundred sponsors on there. Uh, how, how do you guys you kind of think to. about that? Well, you have, you got to remember something, right? Those those eyeballs in the ears that we're talking about, for us, those are the golden eggs, right? That our, that's why people pay us. Yeah. And, and again, like I tell my wife's family about what I do for a living. They're very unique people, software developers, uh, IT administrators, cybersecurity folks. Right now, they're the kings of the universe. They're making this world happen. Where yeah. would we be this last year without you know, our digital transformation folks. Yeah. And, but they're also a very unique market of folks. They don't like to be marketed to. They don't like to be sold to. So if you're too commercial, if you're past, if you're, you're spamming them with too much marketing fluff, they sure. turn you off like, like last year's news, right? So, you, you know, that's part of our job is to make sure we don't just give them too much marketing fluff, right? They, they're dealing with real problems, real challenges, and yeah. they want to hear what are the best solutions and how are other people fixing or solving those challenges. And that's what we try to give them. Not, so how not do marketing. you, yeah. So how, how, what have you found to be the best way to connect that end user that you value with what you would say this is a valuable company, even though they're paying us, this is a valuable solution. What ways do you connect that? Is it through email, just saying, hey, here is a solution that you guys should consider? Is it through? Nah, of course. How many emails do you get a day, Drew? Too many. We all do. Yeah. So emails, I mean, you reach people through email. Email is still the killer app of the internet. I'm not saying no. But we find, you know, doing webinars, we did 300 webinars last year. Wow. You know, and these webinars are about an hour each. We do virtual events with anywhere from 20 to 50 speakers, you know, on various subjects within a, a given title. Um, we do a lot of ebook publications and, and, you know, infographics and podcasts and videos a lot, you know, of, of how to videos, a lot of just interview videos. You know, if you want to stay on top of what's going on in the DevOps market, DevOps.com, and that and that goes to what what's an omniversal media company, right? When I worked at Network World, everything was just written articles. Everything was written. Yeah, they had just started getting into like podcasts, for instance. But you got to keep the seven minutes. How much can you do in seven minutes? Right, right. So we think in today's world and to our audience. They, we want to give them this content, this information, in any way that they're comfortable consuming it. If it's reading, it's fine. If it's video, it's great. If it's audio, that's fine too. We another pop popular kind of platform now is you know they, we call them graphic books. They're comic books, right? But comics yeah. dedicated on this subject. You see. We'll offer, we've done a bunch of those on, on different topics. So, you know, omniversal to us is 
whatever, there's a lot of new channels coming out, right? We, yeah. we developed OTT channels where we're coming at people on Apple TV and Roku and Amazon Fire. We have mobile apps. We, you know, you can't tell people how and when to consume your content. You just got to make it available to them. How have you so, found, how, what have you found in your experience of building this community, building trust with them, where they're, they're looking at you as the go-to on this subject, uh, wanting to visit your webinar or your site or your podcast or whatever, what have been some of the keys to, to building that, that trust in that community? Yeah. So I, I will tell you, I didn't even realize we built it, <laughs> you know, but well, before COVID, I travel around the world to all of different DevOps and security conferences. And we'll talk about security in a second, how we got in there because it's different than DevOps.com. But, you know, I started traveling to conferences around the world and doing video. Well, I, I would speak at many conferences. And then we also started doing video interviews and covering conferences, you know, live and from people who couldn't get to them. And what I blew my mind was no matter where I went in the world, not just the U.S. or Europe or the Middle East or Australia and Singapore and China. And literally, I've been all over the world three, four times in the last yeah. couple of years, not counting last year, of course. Um, no matter where I went, you know what, Drew? People either recognized my face or my voice or knew my name. Yeah. DevOps.com and they'd come up to you. And so I had like a personal host in every city that I visit, right? Whether it's Bangkok or, or, or Ho Chi Minh City or Sydney or, or Melbourne or, or Beijing or Shanghai, there's people there who I don't know, but they know me. And, you know, they're always, you know, want to show me around and show me what the local DevOps community, London, for instance, I go, I go to London a lot. Um, so, you know, that's the thing. It's a global community. And so be, you got to talk the talk, walk the walk. Being involved with these people and being on the road with them. Yeah. That's how I stay real. Keep it real. Understand what, what it is, what's hot. What are they looking for? What are their challenges? What's going on in market? And, and it's not just me. Of course, the company's grown beyond just me. Right. Yeah. We have a, a whole team of people now who who do this. Now, this past year, of course, represented some challenges. We couldn't go anymore, right? I didn't know what was going to happen, but we, we turned it around to doing video almost exclusively to do that. But, you know, we, we publish about three plus hours of video content a day. In addition to 300 webinars and 18 virtual events and, you know, all of the other things we do. So we still stay in touch with our community around the world, right? We'll do yep. webinars 10 o'clock at night here, East Coast time, because that plays well in India and Singapore and, you know, Thailand or Australia, New Zealand. And then we'll do webinars seven o'clock in the morning here, East Coast time, because our friends in Europe, it's prime time for them. Right. And then all so we it's a very much follow the clock because it's a global community. Yeah. So I'm curious, you, you've, you've built so much in this industry, right? Like we're, we're barely even scratching the surface of a few different, you know, either companies or branches of companies that you have. You've been in the space for several decades now. And I'm always curious under the hood, like what drives people? Why, why passionate about this versus this? Why, you know, 
what keeps me going and, and renewing my energy towards this. So I'd love to ask for you, like, what is it about maybe it's technology, uh, computer, cyber, something like what, what about that has caught your passion? Yeah. Life? Well, you got to remember that I didn't go to school for this. I didn't go in thinking this is what I was going to be when I grow up. Right. Sure. I got into computers for the love of doing that, the technology. And so it's, that's still what drives me in a lot of ways. I'm still a gadget boy who likes going, you know, what's the next shiny new trinket toy I can play with. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it also has become, you know, over the last 15 or so years, I realized that one of the most valuable assets of our company is my personal network. Right. I, I guys and, and unfortunately more guys than women because it's, the tech industry is still male dominated way too much. Yep. But guys I, I came up with right in the industry are now also CEOs, CIOs, CTOs, at, you know, major, major companies and organizations. And my network there is pretty strong. Um, as a matter of fact, in, in 2017, going into 18, I realized that though I was doing the DevOps thing and there was a security aspect to DevOps that we call DevSecOps, I really needed to do more in security because that's where my passion and my people are, right? And um, I had started something that you mentioned in the beginning called the Security Bloggers Network. I had started that in 2004. And it was just a great story. Let me, I'll take five minutes and tell you the story behind that if you don't mind. Sure. So, this guy, Brad Felt, who I sold my original company to, right, comes to me in around 2003 or four and introduces me to a guy named Dick Costello. Dick is out of Chicago, and he is the CEO, founder of a company called FeedBurner, right? Because back then, blogging had just come on the scene. And, and the way you were able to syndicate blogs was something called an RSS feed, really simple syndication. Yep. But when it first came out, there were different flavors of RSS. There was RSS 1.0, there was RSS Atom, there were four or five different RSS flavors, and they weren't necessarily compatible, right? FeedBurner was a way of normalizing RSS feeds and it put out one standard feed that anyone could use, no matter what reader you were in. Great, great technology. Dick didn't know how to monetize it, though. Right. They, they had this great technology and no way of making money. And so his idea was, is if they can get a group of blogs on a, one subject, security, for instance, he would aggregate all those RSS feeds into one feed and then sell advertising into the RSS feed. So he went, he went to my friend Brad. Brad was an investor in FeedBurner and went to Brad and said, uh, you know, let's pick a few subjects and we'll, we'll test it out. So one they did was VCs because Brad's a VC. And one they came, Brad said, my friend, you know, my friend Shimmy will help us in security. So I put together the Security Bloggers Network. I just, I went out to friends and said, hey, we're doing this. Would you mind putting your blog and in, feed into it? I don't know what's going to happen, but we'll see. And I got a bunch of friends who did it. Well, within about three or four months, Dick Costolo sold FeedBurner to Google for about $100 million, man. Holy with crap. No revenue. No revenue. <laughs> zero, zero revenue, $100 million bucks. Maybe it was 80 something like that. Dick then went on to become the CEO of Twitter, 
Wow. Right? He was the became Twitter CEO. About and I was like, good for Dick, you know, what am I gonna do? And uh about six months later, Google reaches out to me and says, Hey, we got your name from Dick Costolo. He said, You help put this together. We don't know what to do with this. We don't want it. Would you take it back? I said, Yeah, you know, if you don't want, it, I'll take it. And so in two thousand and five, I I get the Security Bloggers Network back and I'm I'm busy working and still secure a company I'd found. I don't got time for this, but I, but it was all my friends in security who were writing. So the biggest infosec show at the time still is in the world is called RSA conference in San Francisco every year. I went to my friends at the RSA conference. I got them to sponsor the bloggers network. And every year we would make a hell of a party, a hell of a party at RSA and invite all the bloggers in the bloggers network to come have beers and food. And what we found is we didn't even have to pay for it. There were so many vendors who wanted to be associated with these bloggers that they were falling over themselves. Wow. Sponsor this thing. So for 10 years, we have these monster parties at RSA for Security Bloggers Network, now, and people still keep joining. The Bloggers Network becomes 300, 350 different bloggers, all wow. aggregated in. I'm not making a dime from it, though, Drew. I'm not doing anything other than I put this feed out there, and anyone who wants it can have it. It's a bit like drinking from a fire hose, but have had it, right? Yeah. And then every year at RSA, and then sometimes at Black Hat, which is another big security event in Vegas in the summer, we would make a security bloggers party, but only open to bloggers, no outsiders, you know, insider kind of thing. And um, so in 2017, I take the bloggers network feed and I make that the backbone of a, a new site that we launched called Security Boulevard. And then on top of the bloggers network, I add a couple of folks I knew who write security. So like original content, that's Security Boulevard exclusive. Okay. And then the Bloggers Network underneath it. So from the Security Bloggers Network and the couple stories we do a day, we publish 50 to 60 security articles a day on Security Boulevard. Wow. And today, Security Boulevard gets twice as many viewers as DevOps.com does. And um, so it's, it's actually bigger than DevOps.com. And... Well, security's a big, cyber's a big industry to boot. Oh, yeah. So, you know, so when we look at the, the success of media ops, again, I mean, DevOps.com was doing really well, but Security Boulevard kicked it, right? And um, right, I'm curious. You know. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. Do uh, When you're throwing these, these massive parties for the bloggers, uh, do bloggers know how to cut loose and have fun, or are they all at the party on their laptops writing <laughs> writing about the party? No, no. So that's the rule there. Okay. It's like fight house rules. You're not allowed to write who's there, what you're doing. Okay, good. I, I picture everybody on the couch yeah, writing no, about Drew, the other people yeah, We there. don't want to hear Drew had too many beers and he threw up in the corner. <laughs> yeah. No, there's not none of that's allowed. We do have a Facebook group with pictures because for whatever reason, there's a lot of bald security bloggers. So yeah. you always do the picture of the bald security bloggers and we put <laughs> that up. But they're actually, it's really a great bunch of, and there's women in it too. There's a, it's a great bunch of people. And we've known each other now, some of us 15 plus years together. Um, you know, and there's always new people, but yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a great community, man. And, um, 
And when you get that much content, there isn't much in security that we don't cover. Yeah, yeah. Because it's all in there. And, and of course, cyber's crazy. So that became like another major piece of this media ops thing. Then when, I don't know how technical your audience is, but there's been a revolution over the last three to five years as we move to the cloud of how we host stuff in the cloud, right? For a long time, we used what they call hypervisors, which let you virtualize hardware and you could run multiple instances on one computer. And VMware was the king of the hypervisor, right? That's yep. VMware. So now we've moved to a next-gen stack of what we call containerized computing. Okay. And, a and a product called Kubernetes, which was an open source project originally started by Google. And 75% of all new applications on Amazon, AWS, are actually Kubernetes-based today. So Kubernetes has quickly become the dominant um, platform, Kubernetes containers and containers. So we started something called Container Journal, not as big as the other two, but it's really focused on that containerized platform. And, it, and it's taken on a new name called Cloud Native is what they call it now. It's open source. It's a lot of open source stuff. Uh, the Linux Foundation started something called the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, which actually owns and manages Kubernetes and about 40 other projects now. Okay. And, and really that, you know, I'm sure what we're on Zoom here recording, I'm sure it's running on a, on a Kube platform. Um, there's, it's, it's dominant. So we cover that angle, you know, that's like an up and comer. Uh, you know, we're always looking for what's next, right? That's what keeps me going. Always. What's yeah. next? What's next, man. I love it. I love it. So let's stay on that, that thread for a little bit. We're figuring out your love for technology. You're driven by what's next. You're clearly a brilliant business mind as well as a networker. I mean, you mentioned that earlier that, well, I, I wouldn't say a networker. You collect a lot of friends, like actual relationships around yeah. you. When you look at yourself, what would you say is, is kind of your unique ability, your superpower? Everyone's got one, so it's not, it's not yeah. arrogant. Everyone, I believe, has a unique ability that when it gets flipped on, it's, it's unusually good, right? What do you think is that common thread throughout all the businesses and success you've had is, that, is your unique ability? You know, it's funny. I, I was just talking to one of my partners in the DevOps Institute this morning. And I was telling her about a situation I was involved in. I said, her name is Jane. I said, Jane, what do you, what do you think? Tell me the truth. Don't be nice or blow smoke. What do you think? Yeah. And she said, you know, you're 50% right and you're 50% wrong in this given case I was talking to her about. And she said, because what makes you really great, Alan, more than anyone I've ever met in your life, in my life, is you, you take care of people. You take yeah. care, you treat your people, you know, whether they're your employees or your family, you treat your employees like they're your family. But not only that, you treat your friends, right? Yeah. I mean, you're always looking to take care of these people, do for them. And, and I will tell you, you know, I used to do biz dev a lot in a lot of the uh, venture companies I worked in. And I always believed there that if you go into deals thinking I'm smarter than this guy or I'm going to get the, the long end of the stick and he's going to get the short end of the stick, it, they, those deals never work. Or if you do get them to work, it's the last deal you do with them. 
Yeah. It's win-win, and, and that's an overplayed kind of term, but win-win situations where people feel like they got something out of it. And they, yeah. Right? It was yeah. worthwhile, and you didn't rip them off. Yes. Right? And and if you didn't deliver everything you said, you made good, and you did the best you can. And, you know, Man, we, we so actually... Good. That that's I think a key. We we commissioned some uh, agency to interview a bunch of our customers when we came up with this omniversal media company messaging, and we asked them, you know, what does media ops mean to you, and and what makes media ops unique, and like the top thing they came out with is they keep doing it till they get it right, right? They're they're gonna satisfy. I may not get it right the first time. I'm not a no one's perfect, right? We try. But we're going to keep at it till we make it right, right? We'll always so make it right. And I I think, you know, I think that's the key to success in business and life. Oh, man. So that makes me even realize why I corrected my own self when I said you've you've been a brilliant networker. And in my brain, I was like, no, that's not really the right word I'd use. And it's not that networking is a bad word, but often it's done in a way that really is around like how do I – manipulate a situation or break into my benefit my benefit right Right. you shake hands with them and then you're like this man yeah Yeah. and i corrected myself and i was like no it actually seems like you've made friends like you have a large network of friends right yeah uh and i'd like to just talk about that for a bit like there's so many great tactics out there that are fine and necessary sometimes but we sometimes lose the texture of like just making sure, like, are you a person of integrity? Do you actually care about the person that you're trying to help, not just get a deal? Can you speak to that for a bit and, like, how that can transcend even a business plan or uh, win in the long run by yeah, just take, no, being absolutely. a good person, take care of people? I, I think that, I, like I said, I think that's a key. Here's another kind of thing, and I tell this to younger people who I mentor, people even in my company or outside the company, is that, you know what? Every single person I know puts their pants leg on one leg at a time, right? No, no one's quite figured out how to just jump in it, right? <laughs> we all go through this. And so don't ever think you're better. Don't think yeah. you're worse than anyone. Yeah. I don't care whether you're a man or a woman, or if you're green, white, black, yellow, or orange, right? Yeah. No one's better than anyone, right? We all, we're all human beings, right? And at, at DevOps Institute, we say, you know, it's about the humans of DevOps. It's about humans. It's about humanity, right? We all have wants, needs. I mean, we want the same things. We want yeah. to be successful. People, you know, with developers and DevOps this is a perfect example. No developer raises their hand and says, you know what? I feel like writing some really crappy code today. Yeah, I yeah. don't give a crap. I'm just going to write crappy code and 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 worse better than crappy i'm gonna make sure it's really not secure so it can be hacked right no one no one says that that yeah. it's not right everyone has a certain pride in what they do yeah and and so don't don't sit here and say oh that guy gave us some really sh- crappy code and he just doesn't give a hoot about what he does yeah no he's doing the best he probably can yeah. it's your job to show him how he could do better maybe or yeah. you know, in a constructive way, yeah. right? Put people in a place to succeed. And, and that's another, I think, life lesson, not just in work, but when you're dealing with people, 
you want to you want to set people up for success, not failure. There are too many people who try to get ahead by other people's failure and stepping on them, right? They step on their back on the way up, right? And it's a long way down. And and yeah. you know, I'm I'm older. I'm 60 years old now. The thing I've learned is that karma wheel goes round and round, man. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and sooner or later, life life is going to knock you on your on your ass. Yeah. And you're going to get up, and you're going to need those people around you, to so to right to help you up. Yeah. And so, treat people on the way up the way you want to be treated on the way down, right? Yeah. And because it does, it goes round and round, and and you. That's that. It's a very game. simple thing. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's a simple thing, and people say, ah, "Bull," you know. But I'm yeah. telling you, that's the truth, man. You treat people. I mean. Every single day I get calls from people who I helped get a job or I've helped in their career. And it and it gets it comes back to me over and over. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And something you got just you gotta recognize that. Don't think you're smarter or you're gonna like outsmart people or it, it just doesn't it don't work. Do right by people. They'll yeah. do right by you. I even like the the generosity of assumption that you're making about people. That's like I'm going to assume until proven otherwise, if exactly you're doing the best you can, right? Like right. I'm not here to embarrass you or point out something you suck at. Like if you knew better, you would do better. And so I'm, if anywhere I can, I'd help you know better. Right. And if you do suck at it, well, we got two choices here, right? Either yeah. let's get you better at it. So you don't suck no more or just realize, look, this is something you suck at. Let's find something else. Yes. Right. Absolutely. And I've had that with like young people in my company, you know, they they'll come in and say, I want to be a data person. Okay. You know, well, we're looking for a data person. We'll put you in as an intern or something. Well, that is not your thing. You want to do marketing and maybe you want to do sales and, you know, you try to help people find where they're going to be successful. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about, uh, building the company from the inside, right? So we've talked about you and your, your platform and your reach to your customer and serving them. What's been, what's it been like to build the infrastructure of your company with the people, right? Building the culture, the teams, the, the highs, the lows, what's that been like for you? So I, I'll tell you two quick things on that. Number one, having been in more than several venture-backed startup companies I, and not having to do that here, I purposely tried to do some things very differently. Right? In venture-backed startup companies or public companies, you know, trading on public markets, you got to run your business quarter to quarter. Right? This month I'm hiring next quarter i'm firing right yeah. if we don't you know it's just to it's, make the numbers left. match up every quarter it's hard to run long-term success of your business when you got to manage it quarter to quarter like that because some vc on your board said you need to raise more money or you shouldn't raise more money or cut your spend or cut your head count yeah or now's the time to put the pedal to the metal go spend everything and then change their mind so Try to take more of a long-term stability view of, of your business, number one. Number two, I, you know, back to my networking or what we call networking, back to my friends. Yeah. Most of my exec team, so the guy who runs all our sales, our chief revenue officer, Parker Yates. Parker and I have worked together since 1998, right, on and off, not consistently every year. 
during that time, but we know each other since 1998 when we worked together and we've worked together on and off. He's been with me almost since day one here. Uh, Mitchell Ashley, our CTO, was my co-founder at Still Secure in 2001 in Boulder. Him and I worked together 2001 through 2009. Then he went off to become a CIO at Cable Labs, and I did my thing. Um, and, and it just worked out where I needed someone with Mitchell's skill set, and he, he had left Cable Labs, and I said, hey, I need your help. And he was like, I'd love to come work with you and help. And, you know, boom, yeah. he's here. Yeah. Um, a lot of the key people here are people that I know a long time, mm. right? That I've done, either I've worked with them or I've worked around them, right? I know who they are. Um, other people are people that I met. I met them at the gym and got to know them over a period of time. And when their talent matched a need, I said, hey, man, I, I need someone with your talents. Yeah. And and came in here. And uh, so I, I, you know, a lot of it is like I've never had to go to a, a recruiter and, and pay recruiting fees, for instance. Right. I, I reached out to my to my people and said, hey, you know, I need yeah. I need help here. And there's, and, and, you know, and I, I think we've assembled an amazing team. Not only that, people that were sponsors of ours, customers of ours, wow. executives will call me up and say, you know, I'm, I'm going to leave here because that's the nature of the beast, right? Everybody hops around, but man, I'd love to come work with you. You have, you guys have such a great culture there. You do so many great things. It yeah. looks like fun. And I've hired people like that, right? Who, who done it. Um, I, you know, one of the nice things about not being venture backed and we were small, is I really did. I we we did some really good things to grow the culture, right? And I would bring, even though some folks were remote, I'd bring everyone in at least two two times a year. Everyone had to come to the office every four to six weeks, and we would do company, you know, team building things. We we've done we've done cooking classes and and fishing trips and boat trips and dinners and <laughs> swamps in the uh, gator in the uh, Everglades here and we're actually planning our first in-person meeting in a year a year and change in August we think everyone will be vaccinated by that wow. and we're going to go down to Key Largo for August to a, a resort I found um, first we'll meet in the office here a couple of days and get some work done but then we'll head down to Key Largo so a lot of it is just and the, here's a lesson also and I know we're sure. running low on time but when we first went all remote, I was nervous as heck. Like, are we going to get work done? Is everybody yeah. going to be able to work from home? Is everyone really going to work? Or are they just going to, you know, play with their kids and their spouse or whatever? Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Right. Are we going to be able to keep this, the lights on? And um, a lesson that I think not just me, but we've all learned is we can work from home and we can be successful working from home and remote, but it's not just home. It's remote. We, you can run your business with your workers remotely. You don't need them all in your office, except, I mean, there are very specific examples sure. where you do, obviously, but yeah. for the most part, you can work remote and you can be very successful. Part of that as a CEO or as a leader is you got to trust that you hired adults. 
If you're worried about your people aren't going to give you an honest day's job, you hired the wrong people. So good. Right? right? I don't need people clocking in. If, yeah. if I don't think people are getting their work done, man, shame on me. I, I, I put the wrong person in the job. God, that is and, such a good reflection. I haven't heard that yet. If you if you were worried about your people getting their stuff done, you hired the wrong people. Yeah, yeah, wow. that's exactly what it is, man. I I'm not hiring kindergarten kids. I'm hiring adults who yeah, right, who hopefully are passionate. I mean, are they going to be as passionate as me? Maybe not. But they're but they're adults who realize this is a job. I pay them a good a good wage. Yeah, we do good benefits here and everything else. We. We work with Insperity as a PEO. They're a big uh, sponsor of the Inc. Five Thousand. Yeah, and uh, we, you know, we we give a good package. I mean, I pay an honest day's wage for an honest day's work, right? What, what's yeah. what's wrong with that? Yeah, man. I was telling a conversation I had with a guy that works for me yesterday, and you know, we were I was checking in on him. Things are are you know works a lot right now. He's going through a great but a heavy season with some personal stuff. And I was just like, man, do you need a break? Like, I haven't heard from you. I need to know. Like, you want to take tomorrow off, whatever. Yeah. I was like, man, I did, but I didn't know if I could ask for it. And I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, yeah. we, like, you have built enough trust. Everyone on this team has built enough trust. Absolutely. You do what you need to do. Like, you don't even have to tell me. If you needed to, mm-hmm. to kick out early, I trust you're going to get your work done. And exactly, you're, you're an adult. If you need a day off, that's fine. But, like, it, people are not used to people trusting them. You know? No, no, that's, and that's exactly it, Drew. I mean, that, if you have a culture, of, like, so we don't count sick days, just don't abuse it. Exactly. Right. If you're taking enough days off or I'm realizing it, yeah, you're probably abusing it. Right. But, right. <laughs> you know, I actually, on the other hand, I beg people to take off time, go, especially yeah. this past year, because a lot of people who hadn't worked remotely before have a very tough time with the on off switch at home. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. And so they don't know when, you know, prior to starting uh, media ops, I worked remote for 13 years. My company was in Boulder, I had a place in Boulder and a place here in Boca Raton. I'd fly back and forth. I was on the road all the time. So I, I was not used to being in an office when I did media ops. I said, I'm going to do an office and it's local. But, you know, I beg people, man, hey, we for a while we were taking Fridays off. Mm. Right. Just personal Friday. Yeah. Couldn't go nowhere. It was COVID, but at least unplug for the day and, and compress. Right. Yeah. We took yeah. some long holiday weekends, four day weekends, because I was afraid we were burning people out. Yep. And that's it. And that's what I mean. Sometimes it's forcing people to actually go to go do it and say, like, I don't want yep. either. I don't want you, you know, obviously neglecting your work and whatever, but I don't either want you neglecting your personal needs and staying energized and staying engaged and you know that kind of thing so uh man super and cool now, it is i mean just real quick we we had a, a woman who works for us who look she's great she is just a intelligent smart great worker and she'll say oh alan you know i really worked hard on this i didn't sleep for 24 hours and I'm like, hey, man, that don't work for me. I, I don't want you to work 24 hours straight because you can't do that for too many days. No. I'd rather let's get you some help or let's figure out a way where it doesn't fall on you having to do this for 24 hours. That, that's, yeah. It's, it's not a badge of honor, right? It's, it's like something's broken then that means. Let's yes. fix it. 
Yes. Oh, I love it. It's not a badge of honor. Yeah. We talk about that, no. like how people respond to stress. There's, there's two kind of communities. One is they, they demonize stress and they're mm-hmm. like, I'm not, no, you know, I'm not gonna have any stress in my life, which is silly because that's where we grow. Stress is just you under some kind of a meaningful challenge, but then others worship it. And it's the yeah. badge of honor. It's the, look, I'm working harder than everybody else. And, you know, if you ask me what I'm doing this weekend, I better say I'm busy or I'll sound like I don't, I'm not important. Right. It's like, what are you talking right. about? Like, it's yeah, not either right. of them. I, you know, there's a lot of people with a lot of different views, right? Who just, <laughs> they right. don't, they don't, you know, yeah. they don't get it sometimes. I think sitting on this side of the desk is, you know, you get to see it. You get to see it. You get to see, you know, you got to, you got to take the pedal off the metal sometimes yeah. or the metal yeah. off the pedal sometimes. Yeah. It's it, for what we, so I'm in the people development space. I do coaching for leaders, executives, whatever the way that uh-huh. we, the way that we've always talked about, it came from a study on peak performance where it's a simple formula, stress plus recovery equals growth. That's yeah. it. So you need proper stress, meaning like you're showing up and you're doing important work and you're doing it hard, but then yep. you need proper recovery. That looks different for everybody and depends on the season, but proper stress, proper recovery, you're going to grow, right? If you get either of those, if you get either of those variables out of whack, something's going to go off, right? It, right. It's not sustainable. Exactly. That, that's the bottom line. Exactly. Yeah. And I look, we've seen it. I interviewed this woman, Dr. Christina Maslick. Okay. She comes out, I think UC Berkeley, and she is like the foremost authority in the world on worker burnout. Cool. Which is a real thing now. The I forget oh, yeah. what it is. World Health or whatever recognizes worker burnout as a as a, a not a disease but a a condition. And you know she has some amazing. If you ever get a chance, Christina Maslick, um, what an amazing amazing woman. And there's so much in there, right? Uh, she, I mean, she gets it. She spent her whole. You know, she teaches it at UC yeah. Berkeley. Yeah. Um, and yeah, cool. that's b- burnout is real. And for anyone who thinks oh, that's BS for pansies or whatever nonsense, <laughs> it's it's real. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so good. All right, my friend. Yeah. Thank you for your time. But before we go, I want to make sure we hit our lightning round questions. So these are just five quick questions. First answer that comes to mind. No need to overthink it. But we've asked every guest these five questions. So number one. Okay. If you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would that message be? Do right by people and it'll come back to us. Beautiful. Number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also what was the worst? That's a good one. The single best advice I ever got about growing my business was, like let let it happen don't you know you got to be pushing right no one no one ever gets yeah. ahead sitting back but it was like recognize what what's what's possible what's normal what's doable and don't try to do the undoable yeah right so i don't know what better way of saying it but right it's like if, it's like if a you're an elephant be an elephant Right. No, but if you're an elephant, be an elephant. Don't try to be a mouse. Mm. But if you're a mouse, don't try to be an elephant. Right? Yeah. You might grow to an elephant one day, but right now you're a mouse. And and so, you know, do that. The worst advice I ever got about business is, you know, 
sell it now kind of thing. There's a lot of people who say, oh, you got a business, sell it, you know, and yeah. go start something new. If you're doing something that gets you jazzed every morning to come up and do, and you're making a good living doing it and it's fun. You're in the, you're you're, doing yeah, you're where you want to be. Yeah. Where, where you're running. You, you want, it's going to be better somewhere. It's, you already got it good where you're at. But anyway, yeah, That's that, awesome. that would be that. Okay. Number three. What causes you the most stress or worry leading your organization? It's a good question. And I, you know what? At my yearly review meetings, I, I, t I start our meeting every year with this. I go to bed scared to death about our company, and I wake up more jazzed than ever to get into work and make it happen. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. I, I get that excited about it. But what scares me is... Look, we're not, I'm not a publicly traded company and some of the companies we compete with are monster, you know, they get hundreds of times more resources than I do. We play in a technology field where technology could change and if I don't recognize it, we don't recognize it, stay on top of it. Sure. We, we're absolute, right? People used to read tech magazines, they get it in the shelves at the Barnes and Nobles or at the newsstand. You don't get your magazines at the newsstand anymore. Then yeah. we had e-zines and everyone read articles, but now people watch videos or listen to podcasts. It's, it's, I need to stay on top of what, what the right technology is. Yeah. Totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Yep. Okay. Number four, what is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal for this company? Man, that changes. It changes, it seems, every six months or so. Sure. You know, at one point it was creating this great lifestyle business that would afford me a, a great lifestyle. Then it became, hey, I'm here with a bunch of my friends and I, I want us all to have a great lifestyle and have fun and, and build something meaningful. Um, as we embark on this post-COVID journey, I really feel like in some way we are, we are poised right now for not just my company, I mean all of us, everyone listening to this. Every 20 years, you get a generational thing that happens that drastically changes the landscape of the world. Yeah. Right? The Berlin Wall founding and, you know, falling with Reagan and stuff and, and, uh, and you know, Europe becoming modern Europe and that changed the whole geopolitical game. At the same time, you had the birth of the PC right around then, too. Right, the 80s. So in the yeah. 80s, it was that. Late 90s, 2000 was the internet. Think about, I don't know if people listening remember before an internet. Many of you <laughs> listening to it weren't born. That's probably true, but, yeah. You know, but there was a time before the internet. We didn't yeah. have websites. and We didn't have you know, all of the things we got right now and cell phones. Um, I think what we've just been through this past year we have developed this so much digital transformation innovation that we are sitting on, that we've invested in, that we've built this past year. And now people are going to come off the sidelines who haven't been able to do anything for a year. And there's money coming in from government sources and private equity and everything. We're, we're going to have, you know, I'm calling it the roaring 20s. Because mm. I think we're going to have a roaring 20s again where... Like these, we may get high inflation, and I'm no ec economist, but you know what? We are poised for for big things to happen here in the next couple of years, Super and cool. and so that gets me excited. 
Awesome. I love that. And I like the, the hopefulness of the future. Number five, if you could hop into a DeLorean, go back to the past and tell yourself one thing out the driver's side window, when would you go back and what would you tell yourself? Oh, man. That's a really good, hard question. It's a, um, it's, it's a creative question. You can take it however you want. Yeah, no, I mean, so the problem is everything I've been through results in who I am here today. So right. if I changed it, you know, if the butterfly flapped its wings <laughs> yeah, around yeah, the yeah. world, I wouldn't be here right now. So, yeah. you know, what would I change? But how much would it change of who I am and what I am here right now? Yeah. But I, I would tell you that I, I would have told my younger self the same thing I tell people now, which is if you're a mouse, be a mouse, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and. Be who you are. Don't try to be who you're not. Learn, be comfortable in your own skin. Right? For a long time, I tried to learn to talk without my New York accent. Yeah. And I realized I just can't. I can't. That's not who I am. <laughs> I talk with a New York accent. You know, I'm not from France. It does, it's pretty obvious. But um, be who you are and be comfortable in your skin. Beautiful. I love it. I love right. ending, ending on that note. Alan, thank you so much for being on here you're today. You're welcome sharing your your joy your wisdom and your story with us it's been uh it's been really really fascinating and encouraging so thank you all righty thank you yes sir founders thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed it make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results